Chow to the latest internet sensation. If it's happening in Melbourne, Seb Costello all over it. Seven. Come on, arrest me. Six. No, I haven't really had that mindset before. The ceiling is the roof. Let's make it happen. Good morning, Seb, and good morning, good morning, listeners. Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello on Triple M. It is four past eight, and this is the last edition of the Weekend Breakfast that I will be behind the microphone for. Two years we've been doing this, and it has been a lot of fun, and we're going out with a bang. We've got Collingwood back in the winner's circle, which is always good for a Saturday morning. We've had a shooting out in the northern suburbs. We'll get to the bottom of that. And speaking of fireworks, the U.S. have sent 59 Tomahawk missiles into Syria. That situation, uh, I mean, to use an awful cliche, is ready to explode, particularly when you have the Russians who are cuddling up to Syria at the moment, and they're not going to be too happy with that executive order from Donald Trump. But we like to have a bit of fun on the weekend breakfast. That is what Saturday morning is all about. And, of course, after Saturday morning comes Saturday night. (laughs) And if it's one thing we achieved this morning, we hope... Take you to the funky town. (laughs) Thank you, Yardy. Tommy Bainbridge is pushing the buttons for us this morning morning. from Tom and Ollie. And uh, Tommy rocks a moustache. How old are you, mate? 26. 26. And I reckon you are at that point now Mm. in your mid-20s where it is an incredibly important time as to whether the stash becomes a permanent part of your facial arrangement or whether it's just the experimental behaviour of a man who's looking to see what his body can do. It's pretty much the latter, yep. I think. Okay. Yeah. You're I not going to be Mustaka, man? Well, I'm freaking out, though, now yeah. that you've said this. Like, yep. Why do I have to make this decision now? It's a decision that needs to be made today, because oh, I'm sure God. the Merv Hughes's, Brian Taylor's of the world <sighs> would have been your age when they first conditioned the moustache, and they stuck with it. Well, I have an issue, because if I shave, mm. I look like a baby, <laughs> but if I have a full beard, I just look homeless. Okay. Yep. <laughs> that's so I go half in between, in. and it's right. great. Yeah. So stuck between childhood and the streets. <laughs> yeah. That is the name of your autobiography. <laughs> now, one of the best things I've been involved with over the past few months has been the Suncorp Super Netball League. I've been lucky enough to be commentating what is a really, really entertaining and exciting competition. Uh, at the start of the year, there was a, a lot of new things around netball, a new TV deal coming over to the wide world of sports family. There's also new teams. We had the Giants, Collingwood, and also the Sunshine Coast Lightning, which uh, is related to the Melbourne Storm, joined the National Netball League. And they've just got a new boss too. Marnie Fechner is the CEO of Netball Australia. Good morning. Good morning, Seb. How are you going? That's an exciting. Congratulations on your appointment. Thank you very much. And you must be thrilled with the way the league is going. Look, it is has been an extremely exciting start. It's been two years in the making. So the fact that 15, uh, the 18th of February rolled around and there was just great competition, really fierce. The athletes have stepped it up. Crowds are coming in, uh, coming to the games like never before. So really positive start. I think it was something like 6,500 for the Collingwood Vixens game on the weekend, which was a great contest and a great atmosphere inside High Sense Arena. Yeah, look, I think that uh, the, the decision to add some local teams in terms of to create those derbies in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria was, has really paid off. And I think that first first round was the local derby round and um, I think they were close to a sellout in Victoria. So um, really fierce competition. I know the rivalry, even though they haven't existed for very long, is, is definitely there and, and is building Oh, absolutely. You could see that, uh, particularly in the way Simone McInnes, the coach of the Vixens, was reacting after the victory. You know, you could tell that it meant a lot to be the number one team in Melbourne. I want to talk to you, because uh, I was reflecting on what I see as a challenge for netball, in a, in a sense, having worked on the broadcast side of things for the sport. 
is that the AFLW obviously came in this year to tremendous fanfare. Mm. They got a great run with the media and, and for good reason. You know, well done to all the, all the men and women involved in that competition. A great story to see them getting an opportunity. But with the type of attention that, well, that uh, league got, I couldn't help but wonder that, you know, you saw Aaron Phillips come out of basketball to play mm. football. Is netball under threat in the same way? Look, it's been, um, there's been a lot of discussion about that. And I think that I agree with you. The uh, AFL women coming on came with a bang and, and Women's Big Bash League did the same last year. Uh, fantastic for women's sport. Yeah. I, I tend to think that I think both, all three codes are really pushing for our female athletes to be full-time as quickly as we possibly yeah. can. So I think that whilst over the next five years, I think you may see some changes. I'm not sure at the elite level of netball whether... They will jump code at this point. I know there have been some players that have actually jumped code from a, a bit lower in the ranks of netball in our state leagues and so forth. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you be part of something that's so exciting it's on and TV, fantastic? It's, yeah, 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 it's look, talked it's about a, a lot. Yeah, it is good. But um, look, I, I don't think there'll be much movement from our end. I think the fact that we've got an opportunity to play for the Diamonds and represent your country is, is just a, a yeah. little bit of a um, an attraction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the Diamonds such a powerhouse. And, and the World Cup in netball has, has really grown to be such a terrific event in itself. Commonwealth Games opportunities mm. next year as well. Yeah, look, I think the fact that, you know, it was 24 years since we held the World um, Cup in, in Australia and back in Sydney in 2015. That really lifted the profile of netball. And there's nothing like having a World Cup here. The fact that we've won now 14 out of 15 of, of World Cups and we'll be defending a gold medal in, in gold, on the Gold Coast next year. It's just so exciting for netball in this country. Speaking of setting a high standard, well, how, many, how many of the World Cups have come home to Australia? 14. Of 15? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... It's um yeah that's so, tremendous yep it's um it's it's outstanding and they they have stood up um yeah they've done a fantastic job unbelievable well Marty Fickner we love having you in the studio I've loved being a part of netball I'm all done for I this know. year because I'm heading off said. to uh, oh you're very kind heading off to uh, be the European correspondent for Channel Nine but it has been fantastic to be a mm. part of it uh, I was chatting to uh, Christy Kepich Burrell the coach of mm. Collingwood yesterday. Uh, and I just said to her how tremendous it is to have an environment like netball where I think because the grassroots of it is so strong, even at the elite level, the sort of support and and positivity around the industry is fantastic. Yeah, look, it is. And I think that that's the... Um I think all sports and clubs do that, and I think netball does that particularly well. And the fact that we are definitely creating more high-performance environments—it's it's even it's gelling teams a lot more. And, and you know, Christy's doing a fantastic job with the pies. It's terrific. Well, thanks for coming in. Good luck Pleasure. in the new role as CEO of Netball Australia. And I want to get to the bottom of what is happening in Syria at the moment because there are headlines everywhere: Trump bombs Syria, world on the brink of a serious conflict and the situation goes back to earlier in the week where there was some sort of chemical attack on a town in Syria. 75 civilians including children are believed to have been killed in that attack and you may have seen some highly distressing video of the aftermath of that attack of, uh, of people dealing with, with what happened. For more information we go to international relations expert from Deakin University Professor Greg Barton and Greg, following this chemical attack in Syria, what has Donald Trump done? Well, he's made a very limited targeted strike on the airfield that launched the chemical attack, so the airfield that's thought to be involved, uh, taken out some aircraft, some infrastructure, and presumably limited the capacity to repeat that strike. Um, but the bigger question of what has he done is, you know, where does this end? He, he intended it to be limited. Uh, the response from Moscow suggests um, it, it may not stop with this. Well, yeah, talk to us about that. Where does Russia sit in all of this situation? 
Well, we have credible intelligence to suggest that Russia was very uh, strongly favouring and, and, and trying to assist the Trump uh, presidential win and thought that he would be friendly and uh, amiable. And indeed, until a couple of days ago, uh, President Trump said that uh, he had no intention of, of being involved in Syria. He'd campaign on the basis of not being involved. Um, and you know, by default, he basically leaves the way for Russia to uh, continue to back the Assad regime as it's been doing. This threatens to turn that around. And, and what's at stake here is that uh, civil wars are not solved through military means. Uh, normally, the parties involved get fatigued. If there's outside uh, forces putting new energy in, it can, can retract the conflict, as is the case with Syria. But they end with negotiation. And, and the key stakeholders here, apart from the Syrian government, Syrian people, uh, Russia and Iran. And if Russia can put pressure on Assad and say, enough is enough, now we've got to bring an end to the conflict, then after six years and as many as 400,000 lives being lost, uh, this horror might begin to end. Without Russia's involvement, it's hard to end the civil war. So that's what's at stake. Right. So we're talking to Greg Barton, international relations expert from Deakin University. So what we've got is Syria attacks its own people, or we suspect it did with a chemical weapons attack. Donald Trump says he's not going to stand for that. So he bombs the Syrian airfield where this chemical attack was launched from. And then the Russians sit there as allies with Syria saying, you know, hey, don't don't push our ally around, I suppose, back to Trump. Why is Russia and Syria on the same page? Russia um, has long had a naval base uh, in Syria, at uh, Tartus on the Mediterranean coast. Um, and it, it, in fact, that's its only base in the Middle East. It's only a Mediterranean base. So it's really key for it strategically in its own imagination. Also in terms of national pride after the troubles of, of uh, East Ukraine, uh, hanging on to that base um, has become all the more important. So uh, they've always had good relations with Assad, um, Russia made a decision to weigh into the conflict. It launched air campaigns. It's been much less discriminant in its strikes than have America and its allies. And it's probably turned the tide, um, saved the Assad regime, presumably because apart from national pride, it wants wants to just keep access to a stable ally in the region and, and those military bases. But beyond that, um, there's every reason for Russia to now push uh, Damascus to end the civil war because it, it, it had a Horrible experience with Afghanistan in the 80s being drawn into a quagmire. It doesn't want to repeat that in Syria. No, I, uh, I can imagine not. Just to go back a step, I guess a lot of people would be scratching their heads and, and you know being quite emotional looking at the vision of the aftermath of that chemical attack. Why would Assad, who is the president of Syria, why would he attack his own country? Well, this looks like you know, what might be called state terrorism, war crime, certainly. And, and as with any kind of terrorism... Uh, it's, it's to send a message and to intimidate. Um, basically, Assad, like his father before him, is acting as a complete monster and saying to people, you know, you dare not stand up to me, otherwise I will crush you ruthlessly. So there's no great military advantage in a chemical weapons attack. It's not very effective, uh, but it terrorises. And, and he was terrorising his own people to, to break their will, basically. A sad situation. Greg Barton, thanks for joining us. Good chatting. Thanks very much. Greg there, terror expert and international relations expert at Deakin University. It's a pretty full-on situation, and that's a bit of an understatement. Time to talk some sport with our sports guru, Jack Evren, who made his debut last night on the wide world of sports, <laughs> calling the netball. The Collingwood Magpies taking on the West Coast Fever. Well done, mate. Good reviews are in. Uh, thank you, Seb. Good morning. Uh, this is a very sad occasion. This is an <laughs> emotional moment, so that's let's it. just see if we can choke back and fight back the tears let's, and uh, uh, let's talk get through it our last ever show together <laughs> now look a british open at st andrews is hard to beat but i think most people would say when it comes to golf tournaments the masters at augusta 
is numero uno. Oh, yeah. And it is happening at the moment. I thought this year's Masters was just about cursed. You had Dustin Johnson, the world number one, pull out because he fell down the stairs. Allegedly. Either, got a little either that bit or of, Jordan Degoe's uh, dog got him. Yeah. <laughs> got a little bit of Robert Allenby about it, that one. <laughs> I fell down the stairs. Okay, Dusty, we'll go with that. And then they had tornado warnings all mm. week. The par three got called off and the tournament was looking in some sort of danger. Yeah, and it's it's very windy today. So round one was pretty good conditions and, and relatively high scores. Really, really tough this morning. I was watching a fair bit of it, and the wind is wreaking havoc really? on the back of that weather from earlier yeah. in the week. Yeah, yep. tornado warning. Mm. So, uh, what's the leaderboard looking like? So, as it stands at the moment, uh, it's been quite a, considering the the conditions. Some of the rounds today have been extraordinary. Uh, Sergio Garcia has gone four under. Big surge is back. Shot himself up to uh, to, to very close three under. He's just dropped a shot. Yep. Uh, Ricky Fowler's got one hole remaining, and he is five under for the day. And wow. He was a lot of people's tip going in, especially. Especially once Dustin Johnson went down, uh, Ricky Fowler shot to the front of the favouritism, which uh, which is interesting because he's a, a young player who's just starting to fulfil his potential. Probably got a bit more to offer, I think. Five under in tornado-like conditions yeah. isn't a bad effort. Yeah, it certainly is. The other one is uh, Tom Peters, the Belgian, 25 years old. And the good judges say that this man is going to be a star. He's four under today. So... Keep your eye on him as well. Tommy Bainbridge, who pushes the buttons for us. Yeah. If Jack had said, guess the nationality of Tom Peters, would you have said Belgium? <laughs> no, I would have said British or something. Yes, no, sure. It's IE. Peters with an IE at the start. Oh, so that's of kind of the so giveaway. Yeah. <laughs> They're a, crazy cats, those Europeans, aren't they? <laughs> it's a little different. Uh, interesting. All right. Well, uh, that's the Masters. Now let's move on to the Davis Cup World Group quarterfinal. No two nations have played more in Davis Cup tennis than Australia and the United States. And the week started with Nick Kyrgios giving some pretty positive indications of where he's at at the moment. I think where I'm at mentally at the moment, and um, I'm in probably in the best place I've ever been. And it showed yesterday he had a victory, but it was the play of Jordan Thompson defeating Jack Sock that really caught your eye. Seb, this was awesome. I had a chance to get home and watch this. Jordan Thompson taking on Jack Sock, who's the world number 15 and been in sensational form so far this year. Jordan Thompson just took it to him. And... and in a way, his match plan reeked of Leighton Hewitt. And Leighton Hewitt's the Davis Cup captain, and, and it makes sense. The plan was to just wear Jack Sock down. It was pretty warm in Brisbane, just absolutely make him run for every ball. And in the end, Jack Sock was out on his feet. So much so that when we play doubles today, Jack Sock won't play because he's essentially hasn't pulled up well enough to play. So Aussies 2-0 up. I think we all thought we would be one all after one day. We thought Nick Kyrgios would win. To be 2-0 up, to go against the doubles combination that's a bit foreign to the Americans. Mm. We're every chance to sweep them today. It's really exciting. Grothy and Pierce, and they go all right as a doubles pairing for Australia. Sam Groth, I should say, yep. and John Pierce. Yeah, absolutely. Big, big Grothy in particular. We love a Victorian doing yeah, we well. Do. Grothy's a star. Can serve. Just a little bit. Just yeah. nails it there. <laughs> Can do that. So, and then, uh, so the, the reverse, do they still play the reverse if we win the doubles Yeah, they, they will. Right. But if, but what might happen then is that we might rest Nick or we right. might, or Jordan may not play. Yep. If that does happen, and if we do go 3-0 up today, look out for Alex Diminar to play. Young Australian, still very much a teenager. He was running the water out to Jordan Thompson yesterday in between the, the matches, but Knowing Leighton and the way that he operates, it's a team experience. Don't be surprised if we go 3-0 up and there's a dead rubber that Alex Diminar gets an opportunity. Davis Cup has been put a full stop on it. And let's talk some footy. And it was the 
Magpies, who got the job done, just one point over the Sydney Swans last night, and uh, Nathan Buckley would be very pleased with that. I'm more concerned for what's Mick going to talk about on Monday now that Collingwood <laughs> have won. <laughs> I know, we've had uh, two glorious weeks. Uh, uh, but uh, Sydney now 0-3 for the first time since 1999. Uh, amazing. There's, not, there's no way you would have thought that that was a possibility, because you would have thought they would have locked away their two home games. Port Adelaide in round one, and Collingwood in round three. The, the Bulldogs was always going to be 50-50 last week, but... They're, in, they're not in a good spot at the moment, the Sydney Swans. It's a very foreign team. A lot of our listeners would have watched the game last night and been trying to work out who a lot of the Swans players were. It's a different Swans lineup. Collingwood, in my mind, Collingwood could have very easily been 3-0. and zero. That's just the way they've played. Their kickings cost them 115 tackles last night, and their midfield did the predominant bulk of the tackling. They just wanted to win last night, Collingwood, and, and it showed. Well done to the Magpies, 35,000 at the SCG last night. Buddy Golas too, thanks to a young man from Tasmania by the name of Henry Shade. And he'll be joining us on the program a bit later. You know what they call him uh, down at the Holden Centre, Jack? I don't know, Seb. What do they call him? Slim Shady. Not bad. Slim Shady. Marshall, for sure. Marshall. (laughs) That's right. Mr. (laughs) Mathers to you. So he'll be coming up uh, after nine. Mate, uh, big weekend of footy too. Do uh, I suppose what the Cats get a hold of the Demons given those two suspended boys? You'd think so, but I, I did Geelong's game against North Melbourne last week. If they if they don't get more even contribution from their midfield, then they're in trouble because Melbourne bat 10 or 12 deep in their midfield. Geelong still relying too much on Joel Selwood and Patrick Dangerfield for mine. So they've got to try and get some of their other mids into the game. Otherwise, even though Melbourne have got no Lewis and no Hogan, they may torch them through the midfield, I reckon. Yeah, Melbourne might bat deeper, but Geelong have Alan Border and Don Bradman uh, yeah, opening true. the batting for them, yeah, as true. it were, with, uh, with Sell and Dangerfield. And the interesting one for mine, too, is the Tigers in Melbourne against a West Coast Eagles side who has shown a lot already. Yeah, they're very good. They're very, very good when they get the ball forward. Josh Kennedy's kicked 11 goals already. Number one in the comp for entries. Number one in the comp for marks inside 50. If they don't win, again, the midfield battle, but if West Coast can just neutralise that midfield battle and they can get it forward, I'm not sure that anyone can stop Josh Kennedy. Even Alex Rance, a two-time All-Australian. So this game's huge for Richmond. If they win, the Tiger train will back up to Punt Road and it will be piling on by their thousands. Stopping all stations (laughs) till September. Allegedly, until they finish ninth. (laughs) Well, mate, uh, thank you for being a part of the show uh, this year. We have enjoyed uh, hearing from you. And no doubt we will uh, going forward watching the netball uh, on uh, on Nine Gem, which would be great to see you become more a part of that. Uh, and uh, have a good weekend. Go well overseas, my Thank man. You. you will absolutely kill them. So uh, good luck. Appreciate that. Our next guest is an absolute fight legend, one of the greats of the UFC, and he has fought all around the world to critical acclaim. We claim him these days because he fights out of Sydney. He is a Kiwi by birth. Mark Hunt. Good morning. Morning, guys. How you doing? Mate, great to have you on. And uh, the reason we're speaking to you this time around is because the UFC fight night is heading to Auckland, where you're taking on Derek the Black Beast Lewis. As I say, we claim you as an Australian, but it uh, must be good to get back to the roots uh, there in New Zealand. Yeah, to be honest, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was born in New Zealand here and I'm a Kiwi. But, uh, you know, I see, I've said it before in many interviews, if I was, if my career started here and it ends here, well, then fine, I'll be happy with it. It's uh 27 years of fighting for me, um, two different sports at the top end, so it's been a long time going. We're talking to UFC champion Mark Cunt, and Mark, uh, I guess, uh, you know, it's been a pretty interesting few months for you. We think back to uh, UFC 200, where you were matched against Brock Lesnar, who won on the day and then later got popped for performance-enhancing drugs. Can you still respect a guy like that? 
No, no, there's no way. How could you? How could you respect someone that uh, breaks the rules? I mean, even out of out of uh, combat sports, I mean, even society, when someone breaks the rules, they get punished. What's different about uh, combat sports? I mean, it's it's even worse out there. But you know, you can't respect someone that cheats, especially uh, in that aspect. I um, any fighter, like 80% of the roster are cheating, and I've lost all respect for a lot of these fighters and uh, you know, campaigning against trying to change things here. It's, it's just. Uh, it's just not a fair work environment. I mean, fight, fighting is hard enough as it is already. Well, I mean, to get punched in the head and beaten up for a living is uh, is not uh, you know, not the best thing to do. But uh, when people are cheating, it's even worse. I mean, it's a life and death situation sometimes in the octagon, isn't it? And and to think that someone like Brock would go in there with uh, an unfair advantage on whatever sort of performance-enhancing drugs puts you at real risk. Yeah, of course. I didn't sign a contract to, to uh, fight... Uh, enhanced uh, cheaters, to be honest. So that is, uh, should be a criminal offence. If someone uh, someone dies, I say, I mean, they should be prosecuted to uh, the full extent of the law, I reckon, and, and be put in jail because, um, like I said, a contract I signed did not uh, include fighting against uh, steroid cheaters. We're talking to Mark Hunt, UFC heavyweight legend. And, mate, there was a little bit of you were pursuing legal action at, at one stage against the UFC. Where's that at at the moment? Uh, well, um, they've just... Uh, I was just talking to Christina the other day. So we're just nearly at the, the discovery phase, I think it is. Um, they've had a chance to, uh, to throw the, the, all the, the claims we've got against them out of court. Um, but I don't know. I haven't talked to Christina. I mean, I talked to her last, last week and all. But um, I think we're near at the, at the discovery phase, which is, which is um, not too far away. So, hey, Christina, is that yeah, your lawyer, is it? Yeah, that's... Uh, the LA lawyer, so yeah, that's yeah. where we're at. So Nick, ne- nearly, nearly at discovery. Right, so it's uh, it's going forward, but but uh, you, I guess, been able to compartmentalize that, put that aside, and continue fighting in the UFC with this fight night. And uh, look, the organisation in the UFC have put on some tremendous events here in Australia. I think back uh, to UFC 193 at Etihad Stadium, and uh, and then the last fight that we had at Rod Laver Arena. They've uh, they've done really really well, and we look forward to uh, watching from Melbourne on TV at least uh, when you take on Derek the Black Beast Lewis on Sunday, June 11. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. that's going to be good. I do feel that um, the UFC is trying to make strides to change uh, change things, but um, I think it's, uh, it's a long time coming. So it should be. We'll see how we go with this this case. Just on the performance-enhancing drugs thing, there are some people that say you're never going to be catch, you're never going to be able to catch all cheaters. So why not throw out the performance-enhancing drug rule and just allow everybody to do whatever they want? Does that create a fairer playing field? What do you think of that school of thought? I don't think uh, I don't think that's uh, any good at all. Because I mean, because that's uh, I don't think that's good at all. I mean, that's, uh, then you should have two divisions. You know, one for cheaters and one for not cheaters. I don't think that's good at all. Any any cheating is is is, uh, is shouldn't be allowed. To be honest, you know, I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Now, look, some people make that argument pretty strongly. I've always thought that if you allow people to take whatever substances, be it peptides, growth hormones, whatever it is, you, you're you're not doing your best by them in terms of duty of care because they'll be taking a lot of risks yeah. with their own health. Well, I mean, the UFC were allowing TRT to a certain certain point back back a while ago. You know what? Um, well, good is it? I mean, it's it's, it's just uh, they're not actually being themselves because they're they're synthetically enhanced. Mm. So you're not getting the, they're actually the, 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 themselves as a fighter or God's gift to them as as, as, a, as a human, the best 
human being, they're getting getting enhanced athletes. Mm. It's ridiculous. A, have you got an AFL team, Mark? Um, I mean, is it? Uh, I don't really follow it, no. but <laughs> you know, to be honest, no, I, no, I mean, I, I'm not. I, I didn't think uh, you did. I just thought I'd ask. Uh, I just thought I'd ask because we've got uh, Henry Shade, the uh, Collingwood defender, coming up after nine here on the weekend breakfast. Mark Hunt, always good to chat with you, mate. Uh, good luck. All right, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Because it's always good when the Pies get up against Sydney. Go, Victoria. Collingwood winning last night, 11-14, 80 over Sydney, 11-13, 79. Here's how it went down on Triple M footy. Hayward, he's already kicked two. Runs in towards an open goal. Tight angle, check side. Goal! Fazzolo's in the back. He's got three. Fazzolo's got four. Lawrence hit one the other way. Dan, we're back to a one-point ball game. From the boundary line, he's trying to will it home. He loves it. Great goal, Hoskin Elliott. Kick in the Franklin direction. Good buddy, Mark. And of course he can. Plays on. Hands it over. And the gimme goal goes the way of Nick Newman. Collingwood lead by a point with the ball on the wing. Parker goes back. Five seconds, four seconds. Can they take a mark? Where's Buddy? Parker drops it. There's the siren. And Collingwood win their first game of the year. And there you have it. It was the Pies by a point. You heard Franklin handing a goal off to Newman there. But as you look in the goal kickers, Lance Franklin himself didn't have one. And that's because he had a young man by the name of Henry Shade keeping him goalless. And Shade joins us on the line now. Hey, Henry. All right, here you go. Mate, congratulations. Big win up there in Sydney. And, uh, you know, those who are riding off Collywood after two weeks can get back into their box. <laughs> no, it's always, uh, always good to get the first win. Absolutely. And uh, look, no small feat in keeping Lance Franklin goalless. How do you prepare for a game where you know you've got Buddy? Uh, I guess uh, throughout the week, sort of just prepared as I normally would. Um, obviously, it does change your mindset a bit playing against a player like him. Um, but yeah, I guess I tried to just stick to, to the way I wanted to play and stick to the structure of the team. And um, thankfully, we, uh, we got the win in the end. Talking to Henry Shade, a Collingwood defender in the Pies' victory over Sydney last night. And mate, I'm told that Nathan Buckley, your coach, is a particular fan of yours. Do you have a good relationship with Bucks? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think he's got strong relationships with everyone. Um, he's obviously a well-respected player and coach, and um, yeah, the boys really, really rally around him. And he's been uh, he's been fantastic since I've been down here. Because he naturally becomes a target of criticism when Collingwood's losing the side, you know, such a big force here in, in Melbourne sport. And we've seen in the past, you know, Scotty Pendlebury, I think Steel Sidebottom as well, have gone out and just asked that the responsibility gets thrown back onto you as a playing group rather than always have Bucks as the target of the negativity. Do you guys as a playing group feel like you need to get out there and, and, and I guess defend him on the field with performances like that last night? Yeah, definitely. I think, as you said, um, he certainly comes under a fair bit of pressure. But at the end of the day, he's not out there. We're the ones, um, you know, making the mistakes or, or performing well. So at the end of the day, it definitely is um, well, the majority of it is up to the playing group. Um, and yeah, certainly on game day. I'm talking to Henry Shade from Collingwood. Now, mate, uh, just a bit of your background. You came out of the Gold Coast initially, uh, picked up yep. by Collingwood in the 2017 Rookie draft. I mean, as you look back on uh, on the two clubs, one an expansion club who's still struggling to establish themselves, the other a powerhouse with mint facilities down there at the Holden Centre. You must have felt like you landed on your feet a bit. Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely a different beast playing for Collingwood. It's uh, as you said, one of the biggest clubs, and just so much support and so much networking around the club. It's um, yeah, it's just a great uh, great environment, and I'm thrilled to, to be a part of it. 
There is a young man with his head screwed on properly. One of the things he notices about Collingwood is networking opportunities. <laughs> I like the cut of your jib, Henry. Very nice. Are, are you studying or what, uh, what, what sort of do you want to do outside of footy? I am, yeah. I'm studying accounting uh, at Deakin at the moment. So I'm probably five years in, about halfway through. So I'll be, I'll be finished by 40, but I'll get there eventually. Oh, fantastic, mate. Well, uh, I'm told too that you've got a nickname around the club. <laughs> yeah, I do. I get a few actually. I think uh, Slim's probably the favourite. I was going to say, so Slim Shady is the nickname? Yeah, yeah I've got that for a few years. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've got to write down a few notes. I have to answer a few names nowadays. <laughs> do you, how do you go on a sort of freestyle rap situation? Oh, terrible. Absolutely <laughs> terrible. Oh, terrific. Well, mate, look, we appreciate you having a laugh this morning and uh, enjoy it. It is Saturday morning. You've got a whole weekend ahead of you and you are a winner. So, well done. Thanks, mate. This is my last day at Triple M, actually. It has been a lot of fun. And as I reflect on the last two and a half years here at the M's, uh, I think one of the uh, one of the jobs, I guess, that uh, allowed me to explore a, a real dream of mine was to cover the Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather prize fight. I love boxing. I, I love all the pageantry that goes with fight week, the weigh-in, the celebrities ringside, all that sort of thing. And so to be able to go over there and experience that as a reporter uh, allowed me to follow in the footsteps of uh, Norman Mailer and, uh, and some of my favourite journalists slash writers. Now, uh, if nothing else, Manny will be remembered for losing to Floyd and also for being a fairly mediocre karaoke operator. Sometimes when we touch, the Bring it home, big finish, Manny. Wonderful. Manny Pacquiao there, thinking, uh, singing a Dan Hill classic, I think, off the top of my head. I better Google that and double-check that. Someone on Twitter will let me know if that is, in fact, a Dan Hill song. Anyway, so aside from being a mediocre karaoke operator, uh, Manny Pacquiao was also one of the greats in boxing. He is an eight-different weight-class world champion, complete national hero in the Philippines where he came you know, from really humble beginnings, sort of a dirt floor upbringing, and then becomes this great, wealthy, multimillionaire boxer. And the latest development in the Manny Pacquiao story was a potential fight in Australia against uh, the fighting school teacher, Brisbane-born Jeff Horn. It was on, it was off, it was on, it was off. And I was speaking to the events company who are putting this together, Duco Promotions, they're called. And they say that come Sunday, an agreement will be done 100%, lock it away, take it to the bank, that Manny Pacquiao will fight Jeff Horn at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane in June. That's what they're saying at the moment. We did have an interview organised, but that seems to be off for the moment. However, it looks like Pacquiao will finally be coming. That's my mail anyway. What a 12 months our next guest has had. Last June, he made a dream come true, willing himself to an NBA championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers. After that, he got rewarded for hard work with a nice contract to go to the Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, there was a distinguished Olympic campaign in the middle there too. He's one of our favourites on the weekend breakfast. He's on the phone now from the United States. Matty Della Vadova, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you going? Mate, we're going really well. Now, you are currently in Indiana where I had a bit of a look at the temperature. It's a nice, pleasant 15 degrees there in Indianapolis. But you live in Milwaukee or you spend most of your time in Milwaukee these days where it's currently three degrees, nice and chilly. <laughs> How's the transition been to the new team, the new franchise? Uh, well, three degrees has been pretty warm. <laughs> winter, but, uh, 
no, it's it's been great. The Bucks are a great organization, and their owners are really going about it the right way. We've got an exciting young group to be a part of, and all things are going in the right direction. And there's a bit of an Aussie flavour there with yourself and, of course, Don Maker, who seems to be emerging. What sort of bloke is he, and uh, how is his basketball improving? Oh, Don's been great. He's uh, not to talk him up too much, but he, he's one of the hardest workers I've seen, and great teammate. I, I think he's got a really bright future ahead of him, and it, it's starting to pay off already for him. Excellent. Nice to see the Bucks have figured out that Australia produces the best basketballers going around. Uh, now, mates, uh, four games to go for the season, and the way the points work is you've really got to, well, at least win half of them to, to stitch up a playoffs berth. Uh, you guys are obviously give yourself the best possible chance, and I'm looking at the rundown here with uh, Indiana and with Charlotte. This is doable. You're heading to the playoffs, surely. Uh, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, <laughs> but because uh, a lot can change quickly over here, but we've put ourselves in a pretty good position. We uh, we just need to finish off these last four games strong and keep getting better and uh, get ready for the playoffs. Now, mate, I want to take you back earlier in the season as a buck. You went back to the old home court in Cleveland as a Cavalier to get presented with your championship ring. Congratulations, of course. And it was a wonderful moment to watch as you stood there and acknowledged the Cleveland crowd. You got the ring, and then without you knowing, the Cavs boys, including the great LeBron, sneak up behind you and just maul you. There was a lot of love there. What was that like? <laughs> uh, it, it was a pretty uh, amazing feeling and definitely something I, I won't forget. Uh, my family were there on the court, which was pretty cool. And, yeah, first time being back there. And, yeah, it was, it was uh, a, a fun night and a lot of good memories in that building. And so the Cavs will obviously uh, be one of the leading teams in the East, but Boston have been playing some really good basketball. How do you see it? Who is going to be the teams to beat uh, when it comes to, to getting to the pointy end of the Eastern Conference playoffs? Yeah, I mean, uh, Boston has had a really great season. And, um, yeah, I think the Cavs, you know, when it comes to playoff time, are always going to take it up another notch. But Toronto and Washington are already... Uh, book their spots and they're looking pretty good as well so uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting Eastern Conference series. Now mate uh, I want to take a little break here and and come back and chat about some other stuff Uh, the Boomers for example and I know you've got some exciting projects that I want to talk about but before we do uh, you know there's a lot of reports about uh, you signing the four-year deal with the Bucks and you know you'd earned a nice little salary there which we were all wrapped to see but level with us here was there one little item that you just thought, I've earned this, I'm going to treat myself and go out and splash a bit of cash? Did you do it like the rest of us would? <laughs> uh, well, I got a house in Milwaukee, so that that was my uh, big item after renting an apartment in Cleveland, so it's been nice being in a house. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, especially with some of those snowfalls, you need a nice place. And, mate, you have got some exciting projects going on off the court. I read last year... That your story, which is one of pure hard work and perseverance, is going to be made into a movie. Now, you're a very handsome and popular man. Which actor would you like to see play yourself in the movie? <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't know. We'd have to see if anyone uh, would want to take take on that role. But uh, I think we're going to just put that one on the back burner for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I could see maybe, uh, maybe one of the Hemsworth boys getting in there. Maybe Liam, because uh, he's more of a brunette, sort of suits your vibe a little bit more. But you've also got a pretty exciting <laughs> partnership uh, going along with Peak, who are a sports brand. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, Peak is a Chinese company that uh, have been in basketball for a while, uh, a sponsor of the Boomers, and 
Um, we've worked together to produce uh, the deli ones, uh, a basketball shoe. It's uh, nice and low cut, feels low to the ground. Um, and, and I've been wearing it this year and been yeah, really happy with it. It should be um, out in the stores uh, pretty soon and uh, for the people that have pre-ordered as well. So I've been really happy with how, it, how it's turned out. You know you made it in basketball when you got your own shoe. Never thought that would happen, but uh, it was a cool process to go through, and, yeah, it, it turned out well. Now, mate, I want to ask a pretty serious question, uh, and, and I think it gives people a real insight into what you're about because, you know, some international athletes, I guess they put themselves in the middle of things, whereas you're very much about your teammates, you're about family, you're about your country. And uh, over, you mentioned the Boomers. I want to take you back to Rio and... I can remember that bronze medal game vividly because you guys put everything you had into it. Ultimately, Spain got up. Was that whole experience, the way it ended, was that difficult to deal with? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, very tough to deal with because we all had, had such high hopes and uh, had all committed to uh, the process for not just that campaign, but for a number of years to, to build towards Rio and we are playing some of the best basketball uh, we've played and, and been involved with. And uh, to, to come up short on, on that was very disappointing. And, yeah, tough to deal with because you're, you're riding um, the highs and you, you feel like, you know, this is going to be the time when Australia finally uh, gets that men's Olympic uh, medal. And, yeah, it, it was such a fun group to be a part of. and. A lot of those guys, we've grown up playing together for a number of years now, even back uh, to the AIS when we're still in high school. So uh, it's a very close-knit team, and we're going to have to regroup and uh, start planning for uh, the World Cup in 2019 and, and Tokyo in 2020. Well, mate, yeah, you're in your mid-20s. You've got a bit of room. So Tokyo is on the cards for you? Uh, definitely. I mean, uh, for me, there's nothing better than pulling on the green and gold at an Olympic game. Uh, that's what you dream of as a kid and uh, definitely hope I'll, I'll be there in Tokyo. We're talking to Matty Delavadova and yeah, that was something that you could really see uh, for me as a reporter covering the games that you had this lineup, which was arguably the best we'd ever put on the court. You know, Baines and Patty Mills, they've got rings, uh, Bogey had won one, you'd just won yours and yet the priority for all of you seemed to be bringing that medal home for Australia. Yeah, and I think for all of us, the, the ultimate is pulling on that green and gold. And when you have guys just coming back from their from their teams in the off season to to represent Australia and put everything they have into uh, trying to you know win, win a medal for for the country, it's a pretty special thing to be a part of, and you you never want to take that for granted. Now, speaking of rings, uh, it's not just the only ring. The NBA championship ring is not just the only ring you've slipped on recently. You uh, proposed to your beautiful partner, Anna, not so long ago. How is engaged life? <laughs> yep, no, it's very good. That's yeah. the right answer. Yeah, getting married in the off-season, and yeah, it, it's going to be fun. So definitely the more important ring of the summer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the right answer. But I tell you what, when you're setting yeah. up the chairs for the wedding, there's going to have to be a fairly large space between the rows to fit in all your basketball teammates. <laughs> uh, I'll probably have to sit them up the back. So <laughs> uh, in front of them. The photographer would want to have a wide-angle lens too. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, mate, we love watching you from afar, and uh, we've just been thrilled to see your journey. You know, the boy from Maryborough is now an NBA champion, and you're heading back to the playoffs, so I reckon I'm allowed to say it, but a uh, little bit of water to go under the bridge soon with four games to go for the NBA season with the Milwaukee Bucks. Matthew Delavadova, it is always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Triple M. Thanks, I appreciate that. And to come home in a hurry, I've invited a man who has sat next to me for two seasons of summer breakfast and uh, some extra mornings in there. Not since Dangerous Dave and Duncan Mackenzie McCarg has there been such a lauded fill-in breakfast team on Triple M. Mm. It is, of course, Lawrence Mooney. Good morning. Sebastian Costello, thank you very much for inviting me in for the final 17 minutes <laughs> of your career on the Triple M Network. Yes. You leave here today, you won't be welcomed back. No. Um, no. They, you've yeah. burnt too many bridges. I have. You've uh, you've laughed in the face of everyone. I'm off to London. You've said the co- the nine correspondent, and uh, congratulations to you. Thank what you, a great mate. thing it is. We've got a long history. We do. Uh, it started way back in uh, 2015. Mm. Summer breakfast. Well, um, it started uh, yes in 2015, and my memory of it, uh, Tommy Bainbridge, who pushes the buttons, I know exactly where you're going to go. Is go is we got invited in to do like a little spot at the end of. Uh, one of the hot breakfast episodes. Great. And it was Eddie saying, these two blokes will be looking after you for summer. And then between that and us coming back for whenever the summer breakfast period started, I tried to organise a, uh, a drink with Lawrence so we could familiarise ourselves with each other. Mm. He at the time was off the P1S5, so quite maturely suggested that we go have a coffee. Oh, how things can change. Uh, and that coffee never happened. That coffee never happened. Uh, our summer breakfast um, went very successfully. We it decided did. to celebrate with a Christmas party at Vlado's. <laughs> it's referred to as Black Wednesday. Did we go to Vlado's? I can't remember. We ended up uh, at the Waterside Workers yep. drinking black spicy rum. Yep. Um, I you fell were asleep wrestling. on a train. Yes. And you fell asleep in the car of David Zeta, our junior producer. I was falling asleep intermittently. And then uh, I tried to attack a marsupial with a, with a garden. <laughs> Can we implement. set this up? Okay, so Lawrence and I have gone out to have a steak with, uh, with hyphen Tim Chapman Mills, who pushes the buttons. Uh, as he says, it kicks onto the water side, which I have since deleted the video, but there was video of Lawrence and hyphen wrestling inside the Waterside Hotel. In which Lawrence ushered, uh, uttered the immortal line, "Take that, you hyphy bitch!" Uh, <laughs> and then, and then, you got on a train to go home. And what happened when you got home? Well, what happened was uh, it was very close to Christmas, and I cleaned up the back garden in preparation for the family and friends to come around. And Rupert was out, and uh, he was barking his head off because there was a possum in the tree. Rupert's your dog. Rupert is the dog, that's right. Not a child <laughs> or a partner. As if barking didn't, yeah, uh, didn't yeah. properly establish that. Labradoodle crossed with the spoodle. Anyway, he was going off and uh, it's like I'd had enough and I wanted the possum gone. So I was shaking the tree, the possum wouldn't move. So I climbed into the tree with a spade <laughs> that I was swinging at the possum. <laughs> Not, not a well man. Lou came out. She could hear that, and of course, that's driving Rupert into an absolute <laughs> frenzy. He's in a lather, and she goes, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm trying to get rid of the possum." And she goes, "If you fell out of that tree carrying a spade, How high off the ground you'd were you? decapitate yourself, probably ten foot." You know. <laughs> she goes, "Get out of that." She said some words that can't be repeated on radio. Oh. And I was sent to bed. Did she call you a Mark Hunt? Yeah. <laughs> she definitely said, Mark, <laughs> get out of the tree. Very good. Actually, we spoke she to Mark said, Hunt Mike. Before. Oh, she said, did she? Yeah. Or Paul. <laughs> <laughs>
pork. Get out of the tree. <laughs> oh, we're gonna come back. We're gonna pull this together. I should say, Lawrence Mooney is still with us. <laughs> and Sean Alvella, the crime reporter for the 10 Network, is in studio with a friend. Yes, well, I wasn't going to mention him. But You're holding an animal. I am holding an animal. And this that's, is... that's not me. That's a, <laughs> a, that's a different species. Can't keep my hands off you. That's it. No, this is, this is your dog. <laughs> this is Bruce. Bruce. And he's a breed that I've never heard of before. He's a griffin. A griffin. A griffin with 9,000 Instagram followers. Who's 9,000? It's ridiculous. Hang on, let's plug it. What is it? What's Bruce's account? Spruce, Bruce. At, at sprucey.brucey. At sprucey.brucey. <laughs> let's get it to 10,000 before the end of the show. Speaking of 10,000, I just quickly want to talk to a man I think that kicked around 10,000 goals at AFL-VFL level and uh, has been a part of the weekend breakfast. Is that you, BT? Seb, is this your going away party? This is, and mm. you are invited. Oh, very good. Very good. <laughs> I know you didn't you want to be. You sound I know so... you're going to celebrate the going away. How are you, what are you doing? Well, not much, mate. I'm going to. Well, I've, I've invited my friends Lawrence Mooney, Chanel Vella, and Brian Taylor right. to be on the radio with me. Very good. BT, very good. BT, I've uh, seen Sebastian on uh, consecutive days, and he has been dusty. <laughs> uh, he, he's, very dusty. He's going off with a bang. Uh, well, Deb, we know you can get amongst it, mate, and. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether Europe's a good spot for you to be going to work because I just don't reckon you'll be able to avoid the temptation oh, of no. the obvious. It all started with some uh, Fitzroy backstreet operating. <laughs> well, I would have thought uh, that's where you could go and celebrate tonight. Boy, indeed, down there with the what the uh, lima bean eaters down there, Brian. Oh yes, they're all down there, sir. Yeah. <laughs> and you are. You have a place in Fitzroy. Uh, yes, we've, we've we've got a place. I'm heading there now. I'm just uh, just landed at the airport and heading there and. Uh, going to go and have a coffee and um, wow. swing with all the uh, Mung Bean, uh, Pujo, uh, <laughs> Volvo driving sort of uh, people that hang around down there. They do. Are well, you going to get down thanks. there on your fixed wheel bike? <laughs> yes, fixed wheel bike. That's right. I hope they become popular down that way. Oh, they love it. BT, thanks for being part of the weekend breakfast, mate. I do appreciate it. Very short, Seb. It was short. Well, that's because we've got to, <laughs> we've got to move on to another weekend breakfast regular. One of the greatest boxers this man has ever, this country has ever produced. Hey, Danny Green. Morning, Seb. How are you, buddy? Mate, good. I've got Lawrence Mooney and Sean Vella with me. Mate, just wanted to get you on the line to say thanks for being a part of the weekend breakfast uh, as our final show is about to wrap up. Oh, mate, it's been awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks very much for having me on, Seb, and I wish you all the best in your new gig, buddy. You must be very excited. Uh, pumped up, mate. Team Danny Green uh, Fitness, too. Make sure you check that out, mate. But it has been wonderful having you a part of the show. You're a legend, mate. Appreciate it, Seb. And uh, if, I'm over ever, if I'm ever over your way, you make sure the couch is um, spare for me. I look forward to it. Uh, there we go. Lodging's fixed <laughs> up in Claimed. Perth. What about this, of the great D Green. Seb Costello has just lined up a bunch of people <laughs> to just give him compliments. Oh, we've got Danny Green on the line. You're a good oh. bloke. Thanks, Danny. Off you go. Right. We've got BT here. Oh, we really love you, Seb. Oh, we've got my mum and dad. We love Everyone's you, Everyone's here. Look how great I am. We're running out of so time. Everyone's here. Sharnel Vella so has good. been a big part of this show as well. We've loved having you such on. A tool. Let's look back at Sharnel's contribution to this show. Okie dokie, Smokey. I believe that Huntsman's are the apex gang <laughs> of the arachnid it's world. People even out at a club, that song comes on and yep. people are doing things to themselves. <laughs> I have chased many girlfriends. It's just three little words where your mate comes up to you and says, Seb's here. And then you die inside. Mm. Now, I wouldn't normally talk about getting naked on radio. Right. I don't need 
Coup de Monde. I just need <laughs> McDonald's. We know you love your Maccas and we've loved having you a part of the show. Now, look, I just want to add here, yep. you're going on to bigger and better things. You think you're really great. But I got nine out of nine tips in the footy tipping last week. Hello. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank Isn't you for a being a part of the day. weekend breakfast. Love you all. Triple M's Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello.